Hi. Hi there. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the BBC. Welcome to the Super Hot Bakery podcast. <laughs> you just invented an entire my, culture. My, my English ex-boyfriend told me that when I do an English accent, I'm actually doing 20 English accents at the same time. And, I believe, and Welsh. I believe Gross. him. Uh, this is the place, no. <laughs> the place where we talk about the bad guys and gals from films and TV. And discuss why we find them so sexy. We're your hosts, Markella Dykbus, Natasha Baptiste, Eric Blake. <laughs> do you want me to do a different one? <laughs> let's do it. Let's try a different one. At least settle on like Michael King or. I might cook. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And he, when I'm he gets Mike... loud, he does get very loud indeed. I'm Michael Kane. <laughs> Welcome to the Super Hot Bad Guy podcast. Oh, please. Sorry. Do you want to do do one? I'll splice them together. Okay. Natasha, do you want to do it? Sure. Welcome to the Super Hot Bad Guy podcast. Welcome. (laughs) I'm not even going to try to do an accent because it's just going to be horrible. (laughs) All right. Super Hot Bad Guy Podcast, the place where we talk about bad guys and girls from film and TV and discuss why we find them so sexy. We're your hosts, Natasha Baptiste, Markella Dykfus, and Eric Albion. Woo! That's how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. I've never noticed uh, you actually speaking your last name. Yeah, like, I don't think I did. Either. It's my middle name, but I guess I just realized that I think that's what it's in. No, I guess we just don't. I've never done my last name on here. Oh. Wait. You say your middle name as your last name? No, that's just what it is on Facebook. Uh, I thought that was your last name. Oh, no, no. Last name's Blake. That is a really crazy middle name. Mm -hmm. You just said that earlier, and I was like, that's not your last name. (laughs) I totally thought that it was. It makes more sense. It makes least I don't know the continuity, actually. I don't know what I've usually said on here. But since that's what I'm on Facebook, that's what I should probably put. Are you not going to say your last name? You just said it. I did earlier. I don't know if you caught that track, though. No. Yeah. Oh shit! No, I didn't. Too bad. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah, I think he said it with your English accent one. I wasn't paying attention. Oh uh, yeah. I was like, wait, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I was too busy paying attention to myself. Oh. Everything see. just sounded so proper. I had to use my proper last name. Yeah. Can you lean over again? Why? Let's take a selfie. Da, 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 da. Don't move. <laughs> wow. They make like full-on body pillows and stuff too. Eric is wearing awesome. a uh, like a silk print looking shirt of Nick Cage's face on a hostess cupcake in in space, and it, uh, when he leans against the couch, it becomes very pleated and uh, like kind of crunchy faced. And I took a photo, and I will probably post that. <clears throat> that pretty much describes how I'm doing today. <laughs> Not as bad as our last podcast recording, though. We were like dead to the world. Mm. Oh my gosh, yeah. I actually feel great today. I stayed up very late last night, but I feel fine. Haven't touched the coffee yet. We everyone else is double fisting mimosas and coffee. Yeah, because yeah. it's Sunday. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's how you do a Sunday. Uh, it's I'm, only what? What were you gonna say? <laughs> I'll move. I'll move to coffee in a bit. Uh, how are you? Good. How are you? Well, good. What have you d- been doing lately? 
Um, lately I've been working a lot and then I spent a lot of time uh, with my mom the past couple weekends because my parents just moved to Germany. So huh. I basically have been hanging out in Olympia. Wasn't it Mother's Day between this time and last time too? Yeah. Did you see her on Mother's Day? Oh yeah. We went to Long Beach and mm-hmm. then just happened to be a casino there. Oh, <laughs> man. That's where she wanted to go. To <laughs> I'm terrified. Those things um, just pop up right yeah, my, in the field. You have no idea. Mom's like coming. a good luck charm when she goes. Like I think she played with a hundred bucks and left with eight hundred. Like, and it's every time. It's like between six to eight hundred dollars. She always wins. I'm like, why don't you just do this for a living? <laughs> You're so good at it. I'm terrified of casinos. <laughs> the one time I went, we lost our five dollars, and I went, "See, what's the point?" And then we were driving home, and we got a ticket for speeding. <laughs> Casino. <laughs> Wow. Natural aversions. How they occur. What has everyone else been up to? I've just been working on armor and I've pretty much got everything that gets glued together glued together. So now I got to start putting straps on it and getting it ready. But I think by next month I'll be going to children's hospitals and parties or whatever we get hired for doing stormtrooper stuff. I got a lot done watching Breaking Bad and getting ready for this and doing armor. It's pretty much what I've been up to. Have you been taking any like photos and posting them? Because I haven't seen... I really want to... I'm curious to see what they look like. I'm doing some progress shots on Instagram here and there, but I'm at the point where I could take pictures of the single pieces, and I guess I didn't take any of when it first came, like when it's all like vacuum sealed and I had to like cut it all out. But uh, there are so many people who have built it before me that I was just looking at their stuff to go through it, so I could always just link people to someone else's who did the same thing. (laughs) Breathe, Breathe Markella. I'm trying to sneeze, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I have my back injury, so I have been doing literally nothing uh, with my life, uh, just trying to heal. So instead, I guess I'm going to talk about Alan, my husband, uh, because... He's also the producer. Why not? He's our producer. He makes all our stuff. I called him our fourth Marx brother once, which you might want to say to me, hey, Markella, there's five Marx brothers, but... Uh, no one cares about <laughs> that guy. So Alan, he's a um, art director for video games, but he likes to branch out. So he's been doing photography for films. And I want to say it was two years ago now, around Halloween, he did photography for a horror film set in like a very horrifying barn in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere in uh, Seattle, Washington. And he kind of jumped back into it in the last month or so. Last month, he did a photography for a film called Ayla with Dee Wallace, which is hmm. the mom from E.T. And and it looked really beautiful and very scary and very moody and mysterious. Uh, and then last week, he did... They were filming a pilot for a pilot in Linwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> for what television series or like what I, network it had like young ad- it had adults playing teenagers i think sounds like a canadian venture it actually let's make a seattle show it'll be cute pr- it looked good i mean the the actors were gorgeous and the setting was really cool so i mean what do you expect uh in, from linwood <laughs> not that uh and then right now He's filming, or he's taking photography for the filming of a movie called The Lunchbox Brigade, Hmm. which I always get confused with The Peanut Butter Solution, 
<laughs> because they're both children's films. Mm. Are you? Do you guys know the peanut butter solution? I don't know solution? the peanut butter no. solution. It's, so, it's one of those 90s. It sounds really silly. It's an yeah. early 90s straight-to-video children's film where a boy, he's teased, so he gets a, a spell that makes his hair grow more, and then he turns into, like, Cousin It, and he cries, and he has to go to school with his covered in hair. Oh. And it's called The Peanut Butter Solution. But that's not what this movie is. This is the Lunchbox Brigade. And the children are super funny and they're really good actors. And there's a boy, I think, with braces and he does like all these like weird fucking things. Like he'll, I don't know, he did something the other day where he like, they were filming and he, he screams and then he rubs like something all over his face and then he like takes a pixie stick out of his pocket and like drinks down the pixie stick and then like blows it out at the other kids. <laughs> But, like, they didn't plan for him to do that. He just, like, did it because they were like, act crazy. And then <laughs> there's another kid there who is really wow. into Christmas. The guy's always just ready to do yeah. that thing, apparently. It's his party trick. He's, like, nine. I'll save him this for later, but... <laughs> he wears glasses. He's, like, this tiny, like, boy with, mm. like, a like a headset on himself. It's oh, so funny. It's like a campfire movie. Yeah. And then oh, um, there's another boy there who, whenever Alan is taking a photo of him, he'll pose and he'll go, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt. And he'll like, <laughs> he'll find a different position and be like, Chris Pratt. And, uh, <laughs> and he asked him why he um, says that. And he says he just really wants to meet Chris Pratt someday. <laughs> oh, it's um, so funny. Well, good for Ellen. That's what I've been doing lately. Nothing. Start doing some writing. Get that novel out of you. Uh, yeah. I've been writing. That's not nothing. Yeah. Yesterday, I wrote a Silicon Valley Star Wars alternate universe fan fiction for someone. <laughs> <laughs> Decent. Curious on how those come together. Oh, Star Wars and Silicon Valley? Uh-huh. Do you watch Silicon Valley? Not even a little. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told I should watch it, but then I've never started. It's very it. good. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I do not. Because right after. That's it's... what she's getting at. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you watch Veep? I do watch Veep. Like I'm Veep. under the impression it's right before Veep, but I could be wrong about that. I, I have the HBO app. It doesn't really matter when it's on or not on. Do you want to talk about Gustavo Fring? Oh, I do. Would you like to talk about Gustavo Fring? Yeah, but while we're on the subject of Silicon Valley, like, Mike Judge is brilliant, and I think we should probably add Bill Lumberg to our list of villains. Wait, is that someone from Silicon Valley? No, from Office Space. Okay, I was like, I don't know. I think he's a fantastic villain. (laughs) I was like, did they somehow incorporate him into Silicon Valley? Because that's kind of cool. (laughs) The same director. Okay. I don't like that movie. But I watched it when it came out, and so I would like to give it another chance. Because I like The Office. I liked it when I was young, and I like it still today. Yeah. I like how they took, like, one billionth of a penny. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. The Superman 3 plot. Yeah. Oh. Maybe I should stop drinking this. <laughs> <laughs> you know who is uh, <laughs> too smart to let that happen? Who's say, who? Say who? Gustavo Frank. Yeah, that's what I was like, <laughs> I was like Gus. <laughs> really smooth knock, segue. Knock. <laughs> Gustavo Frank. <laughs> knock knock. Whose podcast? <laughs> Gustavo Frank. 
But who? Gustavo's not the one who knocks. No. So <laughs> yeah. someone else. Wait, I don't get it. You gotta Gustavo, watch more Breaking Bad. Yeah, just Gustavo never does his own dirty work. Oh. Whereas Except Wolf for that one time. The With the box cutter? Yeah. Just to make a point, though. So, he didn't bury the body. Since Gustavo shows up at the end of season two of Breaking Bad, if you just started Breaking Bad or have not finished Breaking Bad yet, don't listen to this. Mm-mm. Spoilers. Um, you should listen to this after. You watch it. Yeah. <sighs> I should stop drinking this. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> I just feel like I'm speaking Yeah, you can in, always just pour it. I'm speaking in half sentences. Okay, uh, Gustavo Fring is a gentleman who at first appears very um, polite and bright and like a little cute old man robot that owns this... Um, Hermanos? Los Poyos Hermanos. Uh, he's 5'8". and i i noticed halfway through um probably around season four i guess i noticed how like small of a man he is and i love a small man and that opens up a lot of like things i I think we should wait to talk about because we're still we're still talking about his appearance um but yeah he's a small man he does things a certain way because he is uh very uh small and unassuming i think but um what was that? Sorry. That what was, was that? Foot hitting the... Oh, it sounded like I was listening to a door close. Whoops. My bad. That <laughs> <laughs> was crazy. Um, what else? Appearance-wise, he's yeah. either wearing his manager outfit when he's at Los Pollos Hermanos, and that's the first time we see him. In later episodes, we see him in pretty nice suits. He's pretty well-dressed mm-hmm. when he does like family stuff or when he visits the DEA. Because he's a philanthropist. So you always kind of see him very clean cut. Much later on, he gets into some, like, really gorgeous, expensive suits. Right? Yeah. Um, He does that thing that I always really love where you see him in so many suits, and then all of a sudden he opens up the door to his house, and he's wearing, like, a long sleeve sweater. (sighs) (laughs) Plain clothes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. If you recall, we're just gonna, we're just gonna jump around. We're not, um... We're not going to go episode by episode. Yeah. So based on the topic of switching clothes, uh, after he comes back from Mexico, while he's there, he kind of gets clothes thrown on him and he is not in suits for a while. And then when he comes back to New Mexico uh, and he's in a suit, it's kind of jarring, even though he always looks like that. It's like his uniform. Yeah, you get to see Gus take care of business and he's a good villain in that way where They sort of bring him in very laid back, unassuming, but then they fill in his foundation of crazy deeds. And uh, so he's obviously a powerful dude with a good sense of style as as well. He wears really nice glasses. Mm. And so he wears very uh, thinly framed glasses. And I thought that because most of his character relies on his very minute facial expressions, I thought that that was just... Helping his face along without, you know, Letting being covered by glasses. Really explore the space. And I haven't seen too many other of that actor's movies. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Is that how you say his last name? I don't know if it's Juan Carlo or Giancarlo. It's, it's, I think it's Giancarlo. Probably. <laughs> the only other thing I've seen him in besides Maximum Overdrive 
uh, is school days, and he mm. wore basically the same glasses. It's they're just very thin, like wiry glasses. So maybe that's what he prefers, or maybe that's what people think he looks best in, because hmm. that's what I think he looks best in. He does look good without the glasses, though. Markel is so transparent. We already know she's voting sexy for this one, apparently. Oh yeah. Sexy oh, he's shame. beautiful. Um, gorgeous man. Cinnamon bun man. Well, Simon Bun Robot Old Man. Oh, he was in Unusual Suspects. I need to see that again, because I yeah. actually don't remember him in that. <laughs> I don't remember him in that either, but I, I still really love that movie. And he's going to be in Jungle Book? As a voice. Oh. Well, I really like his intro in his first episode, because you first see him in a shot of the restaurant talking to an employee, and then it just kind of loses focus and goes over to where Walt enters because he's getting food. He's supposed to just meet someone there and has no idea. And there's this thing that they do with Walter White where whenever he is his criminal alter ego, uh, Heisenberg. He- Heisenberg. I was about to say Heisman and I was like, not Heisman. There will be him looking in a reflection, either in a reflected surface or like a like a pool or a car window. And you'll kind of, the face kind of changes. It's almost like a Gollum-esque having two different characters talking but um when walt comes back because no one meets with him the first time he's just kind of sitting there trying to figure Wait, out are you going to be calling walter walt yeah why dang i would i just had a conversation with someone about this about how when they say walt or if i read walt i literally think of walt jr like i don't well, think of walter he changes his name later so i guess okay this is my issue i'm never going to talk about walt jr I and i if i'm I do going all... to power through this and just know that you're talking about walter but yeah so whenever walter is kind of doing his uh, heisenberg thing there's a reflection there and as he's waiting to kind of figure out who the contact was there's a, a little shot where gus has just asked him how his food is and then he kind of looks out the window Walter looks out the window, that is, and when he sees the reflection, he sees Gus's reflection too, and they're, and that's when both of the alter egos basically lock eyes he looks in the him, reflection. He? Yeah, so they look at okay. each other in the reflection, and since that's already kind of established as, that's Heisenberg there, and so then he recognizes him and of course starts a dialogue with the oh, guy. That's cool. So their alter egos are in the reflection, and but when so, they're speaking, they're just, they're pretend. So. Yeah. Pretty much, and that's it sort of speaks to that as like an actual thing like that's when he recognizes that that's the guy it's nothing else like it's not some interaction with something else it's that just small moment i suppose he wouldn't have guessed that if that hadn't have happened and i definitely wouldn't have guessed that it was a very it was very surprising to me especially when walter um calls him out on it and gustavo's face falls into what we usually see his expression as which is very like his business mode yeah yeah i got super chills is so i love that was like my favorite part he's just this regular fast food guy no big deal manages a shop nope and then you're just like brilliant this was and i like that (laughs) because he's a philanthropist you also see him learning stuff about walter and walter doesn't know he knows so it's kind of it's one of the first characters that has the upper hand on our anti our hero slash villain walter white and then he's also like one step ahead of him for the first time with a in a big way do you realize how busy gus spring must be right because like when the when the dea are interviewing him they're like where were you on this date and he says oh i was I was at this charity, I was speaking at a charity event, 
oh, I'm the, on the, the board for this hospital. What can I get for you? And then he's always at his office at Los Poyos. And he's always dealing with the, like, the drug cartels cartel yeah. stuff. And then, like you were saying, he already had all this information on Walter. But when they go down to Mexico and shit goes down and they're at the hospital, Jesse looks into the cupboard and all of their blood is there with, like, their names on it. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to Gus's house, it's spotless, which I think it's partly because he's usually never there. And also, I think that he probably has someone come and clean it for him. But, wow, he does a lot. Yeah. And just to, like, slow down and, like, make soup like that. It's kind of funny that he does enough to keep his criminal life from his family life, whereas Walter's always... Well, Walter really gets under suspicion because he kind of doesn't spread himself thin enough to make it believable that he's gone in these weird circumstances, whereas Gus has tons of alibi stuff. Because he's been doing it for, what what do they say, 20 years? Yeah. But he's just smarter about it. He's not desperate like Walt is. Well, Walter doesn't know what he's doing. That's what I mean. He's just, he's kind of desperate. Whereas Gus, even if he was desperate, he knew, like, if I go slow. I don't remember Gus showing up as early as the second season. Yeah, he's just in the last, uh, even two of the last episodes that season. So I started... I liked the scene at the start of season three. You know, they've had a couple of meetings and done some work, but at that point, Walt wants to get out. And there's just a kind of nice shot, because it's done on hand cams, and I noticed that, like, they kind of keep it pretty steady for Walt, but when they're looking at Gus, after he tells him he doesn't want to do it, they kind of, like, go a little shaky with it. And I definitely noticed this because it was the first time I saw it in HD, and I wondered if that was, like, supposed to... If that was just because it was in HD and I was noticing it for the first time, kind of a shaky camera, or if they did that on purpose to be like, he's pissed off. And even though he says, you know, enjoy your meal, this is not going to end here. But I like their treatment of his silent, even-keeled powerhouse. Yeah, do you want to go into his facial expressions? He's a really good face actor. What do you think, Natasha? I... The difference between Gus Family Man and Gus Drug Dealer, I think, is definitely right in the, just the mouth, like, how he does the smile, and then, like, his frown really, like, drops down, like, makes his chin drop a little, and you're, like, being frowned at. Yeah. I feel like he has, like, the best kind of resting bitch face. There's, like, no better term. He has really good two different faces, because when you do see him smiling, he looks genuinely, like, happy. Oh, yeah. Killer. I'm yeah. showing Natasha what I wrote down, which was a killer smile and a killer frown. Yeah, like it's both, so intense both ways. Both ways are so intense that you're like, you know, when he's angry. What I loved about him, though, is that, you know, when he was angry and he didn't show his intensity through like yelling or overreacting. It was like his face and you're like, shit. He was always angry. <laughs> and I when he shows emotion or if people around him are showing a lot of emotion he'll like flutter his eyelashes he usually does it if he is calming down if he was very very upset and someone has calmed him down to that point his eyelashes will flutter it's almost like a blinking rapidly type thing and then if someone is yelling in his face he'll do the same thing like it's and I'm, run- I'm not really sure how they correlate it's just a fluctuation of emotion that he that's how he reacts to it. Like, he, he has, like, really expressive eye- eyebrows. And I-, I wrote down, he always looks really done with everything without barely moving his face. 
But I wrote that down without realizing that um, he doesn't have that many emotions because I don't think anything he does brings him joy. He's literally doing everything to arrive at the point that he did in Mexico when he drugged everyone. What was that guy's name? Murders committed by Gus. Don Fuente, Don Fuente, uh, Miguel, Don Paco, Don Cesar, Don Ronaldo, Don Artuno, Don Cisco, Don Luis, Don, El- Don oh, Escalera. Don Eladio is the guy with like the necklace. Oh, yeah. That he gave him the, um, the alcohol too. So when you think of his facial expressions, we see him smile when he's with his um, employees at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we see him smile the same way when he is with people in the community like the police department and things like that and at dinner i suppose and at dinner so yeah when he's working like when he smiles at walter it's so fake he's never smiled at him and here's here's the weird thing that i've noticed and i actually think it's a mistake in the show and i don't know why they did that because i i know how much they put into the show to make it like meaningful but i see it as a mistake and that is i can't really tell if gus actually likes his employees or not I feel almost like he's fond of them. When he's with them, he acts super fake the way he does with other people in the community. And we know that that's fake. We know that he's always fake, happy when he's speaking with people like Walter. It's his like fake politeness that he does with him. his employees. They've done nothing wrong to him. So I don't know if it's fake or not. Um, what's that guy's name that was murdered? I feel like he's sort of the model. The chemist. Bolt bootstraps. Oh, boss. um, was it Gale. 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 Yeah. When Gale was murdered, did he ever smile at Gale? I feel like he was just himself, but it seemed like after Gale's death, he was very affected by that. So with his employees, he was very fake and like smiley. But I'm not sure if they care if he cares for them. I think he does try to be the picture perfect boss. The other managers know that he's always over at other franchises doing cool stuff. I realize that he hates his job. He hates the restaurant. He he basically hates everything he does and he's only doing it for revenge. But yeah, so those are those are the times he smiles. Okay, here, let me put it this way. There's there's three tiers of his smiles. Uh the very bottom is when he's with the police and the community, and when he's with Walter, I feel like that's when he's the most fake about being like happy. The mid-tier is when he's with his employees and the doctor at the end, the doctor that saved him down in (laughs) Mexico, he kind of gives him this like smile and like gives him a big hug. But I feel like that's the same as when he's treating his employees really nicely. I don't know if that's real or not, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because it seems more genuine than he's with the others. I So I actually went through and I watched every single scene with Gus Fring in the entire series. And I only saw him smile once, for real. And this is why I said, I don't think this makes any sense. I think it was a mistake in the show. And it was when he brings Jesse to Mexico and they are teaching the cartel, like the recipe for the for the meth. And Jesse starts yelling at everyone. And it shows Gus twice or three times, barely like smiling, but he's like, He's like smirking like he's really proud of Jesse, but th- but no one is looking at him. He's never smiled unless someone's looking at him for a re- for a reaction. Yeah. And so this one time in the show, no one's watching him, but the camera goes to him two or three times and it shows him 
smiling. And that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I understand that he thinks Jesse is useful. I understand that he doesn't like the cartel. But why would that be the one thing that makes him smile out of the entire series? I think that's kind of I think because Jesse silly. redeemed himself through the series. Because Gus really wasn't going to work with him at all. Mm-hmm. And he had, like, the rule that he wasn't going to work with him. I guess. And I think he his expectation based on his rule was completely kind of demolished because of Jesse, of all people. So I guess if you look at it from Jesse's storyline, which I understand he is totally one of our main characters. So I guess if I look at it in the way of I'm following Jesse, even Jesse can make Gus Fring smile. I guess then that does make sense to me. If I'm looking at it from Gustavo's perspective, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Like as a normal viewer of the show, maybe I should be thinking more about what's going on with Jesse and having Gus smile when he's doing that as encouragement actually would make sense. And it may not be about Jesse altogether. I mean, most of the people he surrounds himself with, he doesn't even really trust. So he kind of has to manipulate every situation. He manipulated Jesse to see if he was someone he could trust because he really just didn't want him anywhere near his business. So maybe it was just like a coming together of, okay, I finally have a few. If the subject was Jesse kind of tearing down the the cartel, if anything is going to make him smile, I guess it would be that since that's the only thing he cares about is tearing them down. Yeah. Okay, I get it now. I take back what I said. It's a little bit weird. It's not a mistake. Would you agree that the less Gustavo talks, the more in trouble that other person is? Well, I mean, <laughs> that whole yeah. box cutter scene is just such a great one shot of just He doesn't like, talk, uh-huh. does he? No, no, not at all. Not until the very end. And it's just sort of... And it was glib. They allow him to be super... I don't know how to describe it. Just what did he He's say super physical too? with both the face and just everything is very deliberate. He has uh, OCD because he always... Uh, sorry, I keep going back to Mexico, but... He is about to die, basically, from being poisoned, and he just slowly unbuttons his shirt and removes his jacket and folds it, and then he goes to the toilet to, to get rid of the poison. But um, he does the same thing in the box cutter scene. He's very, like, slow about everything, and everything is very cleanly around him, which is interesting that he works at a fast food chicken restaurant. Must be very clean there. I thought it was super clean. Every time they went to the restaurant, it didn't seem like... His image being clean is part of how he eludes people. It's just so clean. But the box cutter scene, that was so good because, like, he just did it. And there's people yelling at him, too. Like, so the situation could have got out of hand, like, extremely fast. And everyone was under the impression that he was there to kill Jesse and Walter. And then he ends up killing Victor, and you're like, oh, shit. How would it have gotten out of hand really fast? Because he just had a box cutter, and he didn't say anything. He just walks in, he 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 puts on the orange jumpsuit, gets a box cutter. Everyone knows what's about to happen. He just doesn't want to get blood on him. That's Mm -hmm. why he got the shit on. Doesn't kill Walter, doesn't kill Jesse. They could have assumed anything and tried to attack him and didn't. I've heard people compare Gustavo Frank to NBC's Hannibal Lecter hmm. because they both have huge, beautiful kitchens and they both really love to cook. <laughs> and they also, they kind of have that kind of, not monotone, but very, they both wear suits. They both have the same personalities, I guess. Slow and deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, they both have big plastic murder suits that they use so they, cause, so they don't get it on their clothes. <laughs> I wrote down, it hurts when Gus smiles because it's fake. <laughs> it's not doing any, any favors for your crush right now. 
it hurts me. So much of it hurts me. Um, I we press pause and I I switch to coffee because I I feel like we are talking as if we are melting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're melting away. I don't know. I just don't know like how to myth. do like a more excitable. I don't know how they do it uh, with podcasts like Bizarre States. Like if I'm sleepy in the morning and I need to listen to something, I will listen to Harmontown or Bizarre States because they're so lively. And I don't think that we're like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. <laughs> today we're chill. <laughs> so we were talking about Gus's facial expressions, and I think his last facial expression is pretty great. What did you think about his last scene in this? Do you think that was an overdone? When he was like, ah! and he like jumped out of the way. Yeah. But then they, he opens the door. Oh, that. Oh. I thought it was kind of fitting because they had to make him so over the top bad to be like a superior villain to the main character that an over-the-top death scene was pretty called for. I didn't mind when he walked out and adjusted his tie. Yeah, I thought it was the cool. The first time, what bothered me the first time was the quality of the CGI on his face. Oh. It was too bright. It looked too cartoonish. This time, I didn't mind any of it. It wasn't, I wasn't as critical. I think I was just mostly emotional. And I guess I apologize for talking about the very last fucking scene in the middle of this podcast. But he was so emotional. Like when he's, he gets to the retirement home, this music starts to swell and it is the most painfully emotional music fucking ever. And he's sitting in the car and he gets out of the car and he's walking towards the place. And it's so emotional and I almost started crying. And then when he gets in, the old man looks at him and he looks really surprised, I guess, for the first time. And I guess that's supposed to be like a really special moment because uh, it is the moment before he dies and, uh, and then he dies. What do you think? Um, gosh, I was really sad. <laughs> I really liked Gus as a villain and I wanted to keep watching him as a villain. Were so. you sad when he got out of the car and the music started playing? Yeah, you knew exactly what was about to happen. <laughs> I was really, was really depressing. bummed out. So, it was a like bummer. I get really sad when the villains actually died and you have such an investment in this them. This show has a history of plans going awry, so I was, I thought it was very tense as well because you're, I was not 100% sold that it was going to work out. So, you know, when he first comes out the door, I was like, no, no, they're going to have to keep dealing with this, but obviously he, he then he was dead and it was uh but it was still just that feeling of like he's such a good villain that i we, they might have to deal with him for another season holy shit it's kind of believable but then then he dies so yeah. i also noticed nice. that when all of that goes down when when he is in his last episodes those are the episodes where when they do go down to mexico it's just it's mike and jesse and him and he becomes the absolute hero because we're I guess we're, we are, as an audience, following Jesse on that journey. And Jesse is going to be stuck in Mexico. And then Gus is like, don't worry. I'm going to save you. I'm going to take you home. Everything will be fine. And he does. And he, it's the bad guy killing off the other bad guys. And we saw the reason why, God, this, this podcast is fucking all over the place. We are going so out of order. Are you surprised? I I think I'm, it makes sense because... I am shocked. Because him, the way he dies ties into what you're talking about now. I know, but it's why, like all building up we to are literally the, the going, double cross. We are doing this podcast literally backwards. I mean, yeah, we started with the chicken restaurant. 
but <laughs> let's just work backwards from here. Um, he He's in Mexico and he saves the day in two ways. Number one, we're so thrilled that he got his revenge for what happened to him 20 years earlier. So we're so, we're so thrilled for him and we're so happy that he has rescued Jesse and then all of a sudden we're thrown into worrying about whether he'll survive or not. And am I wrong in this? When they went to the hospital and Mike and Gus might die, you're like really not wanting that to happen, right? Yeah. Like, you like, want them no, to survive no. so bad. Well, the show is yeah. great at making you root for the bad guy. So he's Gus, become the hero Gus now. goes from sort of a, whoa, I wonder if they're going to get this deal. But then you start rooting for him, too, because his plans are very elaborate and well thought out. Yeah. yeah. So between Gus being the hero thing happens, between that and him exploding at the end, the thing that happens in between those is he comes back to New Mexico and he does the worst of the worst when it comes to dealing damage on Walter and Jesse, basically, because he's lying to Jesse and hurting everyone he loves and basically doing everything but killing Walter. So he's doing, he comes back from this hero thing and does the absolute worst and then he dies. Mm-hmm. And it was just so smart. I mean, in their one of their first conversations, he's saying that he doesn't think him and Walter are alike because he thinks he's a lot more careful. So there's a lot of him proving just how careful and plotting and concise he is. So at the very end, it's just the final example of him. The one thing he's not careful about, because even though he guards it, like he just takes it for granted how safe his secrets are. Yeah. uh, Let's talk about why Mexico is so important to him. (laughs) Since we're working backwards. I guess. Uh, So uh, 20 years beforehand, he all all we really know is that he came from Chile with his basically his boyfriend, which I pretty much thought that Vince Gilligan had said that they were lovers. But then I read on the Wikipedia that they were like backpedaling on that and they were saying that uh, Giancarlo thinks that Vince Gilligan is like on the fence, but I totally had like a quote. Yeah, I found one too. He said you wouldn't be wrong if you thought that. Yeah, fucking yeah. deal with it, Wikipedia. They're, they were together and I definitely got that impression both times I watched the scenes with them in it. And so basically the story goes, Gustavo and his boyfriend come from Chile to Mexico uh, with, oh, Max is his name. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Max makes really good chicken. They open up a chicken restaurant to give samples, meth samples to Don Eladio's people so that they will notice them and set up this meeting and then they'll, because they want to work with them. They sell cocaine, but Gus and Max want to introduce them to meth because it's a better market. It's a better product that would sell down there. And they just really, really kill Max. And uh, it's horrifying. And (sighs) Gus looks so cute because he has, like, really pretty eyelashes in the scene. And he has, like, more hair. He wears, like, a little brown suit. And then he gets super sad. And I, I wrote down... At the beginning of the scene, he's like a little nervous butterfly. Gus is a small, nervous butterfly. And then he and then he cries because they kill Max. Oh, and then also, Gus is very wealthy because you think towards the... Be- like when they're talking about Gale, you find out that 
Gustavo pays for Gail's like way through college. But Gus has been doing that at least 20 years prior because he also pays for Max to go through college. So wherever he came from, he had a lot of money. Well, it seems like he might have already been dealing meth if that's what they wanted to introduce. But I don't know if they were doing like, you know, to the scale that he finally got to. So you think that he was doing meth on his own. I think him and Max were making it. Well, I mean, unless they were lying, they said specifically that he paid for Max's schooling, Mm -hmm. not both of them. Oh, good point, yeah. I mean, if Max has money, he pays for his own darn school supplies. I kind of thought that he he was already doing it before because when they and that's where he got the money yeah because they said that they couldn't find records of him and he kind of just blew it off as like oh our government was corrupt and Mm -hmm. so they weren't good at keeping records but Hmm. i'll try to get you some it's like maybe he's from chile but he has other aliases like he's not really gus he just calls himself gus it was something crazy like they couldn't find anything before 86 or something like that like they just he just kind of appeared out of nowhere the year i was born or the year before Same. i was born and so that to me was just like kind of crazy like you've been doing this for a long time like a lot longer than they make it seem it kind of makes it seem like he grew up kind of in that world either like family member was in it or he was just around it a lot because he just knew a lot for someone who was supposedly starting out 20 years well he's very nervous when he meets them he was a nervous butterfly well to me like that i mean i could be dylan judge right now if i'm gonna meet a cartel i'm gonna be nervous too but like he was by himself he wasn't he didn't have a cartel that was like guarding his pretty much his money yeah he was just making it on his own and he had to be kind of cunning about it because he didn't have a gang behind him to protect him. He just kind of had to do it. So I think anybody would be nervous in that situation. Do you want to talk about the colors really fast? Because the the, the present that he gives Don Eladio. I'm trying to remember it right now. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like succeeding. But you know how the colors on Breaking Bad all like mean something? Mm. Like Hank's wife is always purple. Walter is always green and yellow. Um, I thought that Gustavo's colors were uh, yellow and red because those are basically his restaurant colors. Yeah. But I thought it was very strange that when they bring the present down to Mexico, the present is wrapped in a big velvety blue ribbon. And that doesn't make sense to me really, except I guess when he comes back from there, he is wearing a lot of dark blues. And the only thing I can link that to is, is that because the meth that they're making is blue? But I, I don't know why the color of the meth would be that important to Gus Fring's character. The dark blue, to me, dark blue and red was always um, uh, Saul Goodman's colors. The, the present should have been wrapped in a red bow or a yellow bow. But he's giving it colors. to someone, so it doesn't necessarily have to represent him. It can represent the person he's giving it to. But I mean... In that show that's so specific about color choices, if they just randomly chose a blue bow. But then again, I mean, you're dealing with someone who's careful, so maybe he just didn't want anything that was associated with him. Or something like red, like a warning sign, or... uh... Mm, Yeah, like blue may have meant something completely different. Uh, You know what? Uh, Traditionally, blue means like diplomacy and... um, Like uh, if you're going in for an interview, the best thing you should do... Or one thing you can do to win over an interviewer is wear a nice, like, deep blue because it calms them down and it makes them feel like you're more, like, sophisticated and, like, yeah. serious. 
And maybe that's what it was. I mean. I guess. Okay. He needed a smooth, smooth meeting. Yeah. Very unassuming. It's a calming yeah. color. Yeah. And it's a professional color. So, okay. Fair. This is a tricky character, I think, because, you know, he gets so much screen time. And they did exactly what they wanted to with him. They start him off very unassuming. They build his character. And you start to see that he is very good at doing what the main character of the story is trying to do. Lead a double life get you done and basically remain completely unsuspected the whole time by anybody else who's not in on it so when they finally are able to outsmart him that's kind of a big moment because no one's been able to outsmart him before and he is very very careful when yeah at the end when they blow him up oh <laughs> yeah does that make any sense to you though because that uh explosive was super big the and one it was thing just he always right assumed is chair. that nobody knew where hector salamanca was I know, but, but like, before the guy calls Gus in, or when he calls him in, he's like, yep, I checked the room, there's no wires, there's nothing, like, the room's clean, and there's a big fucking blinking bomb by their ankles. Stupid. That's not a, an appropriate word. That's some silly stuff. Vince Gilligan. <laughs> silly city. Silly city. But I like it. His one flaw is his downfall, and uh, otherwise, just a really terrifying dude. Because I like Gustavo so much, I kept wanting to pull out anything I could get out of him actually showing any emotion, since he never does. It was actually very challenging watching all of his scenes one after the other, because he shows so much constraint. Which is why I said that it's so painful when he smiles because I know that it's fake. Yeah. But when I saw him with his employees, I think that's when I enjoyed him the most. And that's why it is kind of troubling that, you know, I'm not sure if that he actually genuinely liked them or not. But I also think it's because when Gus was with Gail and when Gus was with his employees at the restaurant, that's when he's around super normal, like friendly, pleasant people. And especially with Gail, because of Gail's personality, I feel like that's how I would act around Gus. Because number one, I guess the difference is that Gail knows exactly who Gus is. Like, Gus is a drug lord. He's very important. He has a lot of money. He can kill you. He can kill people around you. And so Gail takes that into consideration, but he's also very bubbly and eccentric and so kind-hearted. And I feel like that's basically my avatar, that, I mean, that's how I would be around Gus Yeah. if I didn't have a big old crush on him. But there's not very many instances in movies and TV where villains get to be around, like big serious, like bad villains get to be around kind of like bubbly eccentric people who get to act like that around them and kind of give them that perspective in life. I thought that that was really, really refreshing. I wish I could have seen more of um, them interacting together because it did feel like that's how I would act if I was around someone like that. Like, can't Gustavo, like, learn from him at all? No. Why? <laughs> He's too no. careful. Gustavo's not a carefree person. But it, it really gives, like, no hope. I mean, think of any other villain and just think of you. Think of you trying to, like, ease a villain off of a cliff and be like, hey, just let's go hang out. Like, yeah, it's not... like you were saying with Cruella de Vil. We could go out and hang out with Cruella de Vil as long as we didn't talk about puppies. 
But that's like completely different. Quelle Deville wasn't really calculating and she didn't really make her money by being calculating. She was just spoiled and entitled. Gus is different. I feel like she had some psychological she had problems. Some, oh, tons, she probably. Had a lack of apathy. <laughs> Can we do like a rundown of because that is interesting, but the reasons behind why the villains we do are villains in the first place. I think out of everyone we've done so far, Gus seems very... He's got a vendetta. Normal, but he just has, yeah, revenge and a vendetta. Mm -hmm. And he has sacrificed his entire life up to that. And only a crazy person would do that. Yeah. Like, I understand that what happened to him is very horrifying, but he has a thankless job. He has kind of a shitty car. He has given no time to himself that doesn't, in the end, go to that payoff of his revenge story. So he's kind of crazy. He's just as crazy as everyone else we've done so far. I feel like the least crazy person we've covered is Freddy Krueger. And he's the one that does, the, I think, the craziest things. Like yeah. He just kills randomly and he probably assaults people and... And for some reason, he seems the most sane. I think everyone else we've done has, like, psychological problems. And like Gus a... really carries a lot of people's fates in his hands because he owns a business that's successful, but then he has all of these underlings in other little side businesses that are also hiding really illegal side businesses. He's a very successful criminal. He's not just a, a murderer, and he's not a psychopath like Freddy Krueger. No. Everything's he's an, very well he's long term. Out. He's not an impatient person. But you couldn't be. He just did everything the smart way. A lot of people get into drugs for like fast money. And just like anything, he realizes like, you can't really make fast money. You can also go to jail for 20 years. So I do it slow and I can build something. Honestly, and it was all for revenge. And it was like, he didn't need to go fast. He could take his time because it's like, if I get big enough, the cartels will come up to come to me. I think 20 years, <laughs> I think 20 years is... Taking your time. Take, it's taking your sweet ass time. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's, a, to be a successful drug kingpin or whatever you want to call him, like, you kind of have to. Uh, and everything he did was just very smart because it was mm -hmm. like, oh, I do charities. Oh, I talk to the DEA all the time. Like, I don't do drugs. I own a chicken shop. <laughs> so you know how he is very polite and kind and taking his time with people basically that are the Mexican cartel in that family that he is set to take revenge upon. So he's very formal and very uh, respectful with them. And when he brings Jesse down to Mexico and he's being kind of like unruly and stuff, he asks Jesse to shake hands oh no no not no that wasn't done in mexico it's the when they have that meeting in the desert in that office that he always puts out like the veggies for <laughs> <laughs> the two guys come in that jesse is upset with because they had the 11 year old boy shot yeah he asks jesse to shake their hands and kind of like hold his tongue because that's what gus has to do with his enemies and he's just kind of teaching Jesse that that's what he needs to do to get things done. And obviously, Jesse is not a patient person. Yeah, he kind of teaches them how to be better criminals, and then they kill him. Yeah. Which is not the right thing to do. I mean, I understand Gus is a very patient person, and he does everything very calculatingly. But it is interesting how much both Walter and Jesse separately and together 
really mess up his whole system and basically almost get him caught so many times and yet he can't figure out a way really to get rid of them. They really are messing things up for him. Like, a lot. a lot. At every turn. Like, why are you even still messing with them? Exactly. I don't know why it took him that long. I didn't get that either, because it's not like they really had anything on Gus, other than that they make really good meth. If Gus could have just left them alone, they would have eventually gotten themselves caught, and then Gus would be the only one really being able to distribute meth anyway. It's funny that later on in the series, Gus's revenge is kind of that he gives Walter White that book and signs it in the same way as uh, another piece of evidence, and that's basically how Hank finally realizes that Walter White is the cook. So he actually kind of is even more calculating than we thought because he's able to plant something seemingly erroneous, but it's the clue that finally sets Hank off. Do you want to talk about when Walter goes inside the shop with um, the little thing that tracks your car? He goes up to the counter and he's like, I didn't do it. See, I didn't do it. And Gus is like, can I help you, bitch? (laughs) Do it. Just do it. And he's like... Go do it. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember that part? I think so, yeah. It's towards the end. Hank drives him there, right? Mm-hmm. And he wants him to, to track his car with that little, like, it's like the funniest thing that Gustavo does in the whole series because he has, like, it's his smile, like his pleasant smile, but he's so out, super upset through his smile. And it's this super bitchy, like, hey, can I help you, bitch? It's so funny. I watched it a couple times. <laughs> but it's cute. It's very, very cute. So Gustavo Frank, successful criminal. Is he sexy? Natasha, what do you think? Oh, hell yeah. He's super sexy. I like how careful he is. I like how smart he was through the entire process. I feel like his type of villain is my favorite type of villain. Him, Moriarty. They're very, like, they're very they similar. think through their process. And even, like, Moriarty seemed to be joking around and, like, dicking around with a lot of things, but he's super smart about it. And Gus is just very, like, he has a plan. He's been doing this for this long, for this reason. I like that Gus sees how all the puzzle pieces fit together, and he kind of sees, you know, I think he smiles at Jesse at that one point, because he's like, they are reacting to him exactly how I wanted them to and he's reacting to them and getting his shit together exactly how I thought it would go and this is exactly the situation I need to go talk to set up this meeting I need and get this other shit done yeah and uh so I think yeah I like cold calculating villains and he's also got a really good sense of style and just as sharp as hell so I think overall he's he's a pleasing fellow yeah I think he's absolutely wonderful He's like a wonderful human being. Um, he has beautiful eyelashes. He has an adorable face. Uh, I really care about him a lot. <laughs> um, when I was watching Breaking Bad for the first time, I felt like, oh, I must be one of the only people that thinks these things about him. But I... I found out fairly quickly that I was not the only person. There's actually a lot of people that feel the exact same way. And I, like I always do, uh, turn to Tumblr because I know that a lot of people that are into TV shows specifically will go to this Mm -hmm. website and just gab. And so there was like kind of like a cutesy post about him, Gus Fring. It's all his like facial expressions as cute emojis. (laughs) Nice. 
and I looked through the tags and some of the tags that I picked out as my favorite uh, were, <clears throat> my sister has a crush on him. My angel, he's so beautiful it hurts. So cute, my only sunshine. Darling, kiss his forehead. Look at my husband, I love him, he's awful. <laughs> <laughs> so I am I not the that. only, I am I not the only. I love him, he's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one long like, tag. A lot of fringe fans. <laughs> yeah, I found this girl on Tumblr who had when I contacted her. Oh, she she had mentioned um, that she wrote a school paper on him, and this is very academic. I'm not. I I made it through like one year of college, mm-hmm. so I could mm-hmm. never write anything like this. Her name is Christine. Her Tumblr URL is Buffy Bolin, and that is B U F F Y. B-O-L-E-Y-N. And I didn't ask her what her paper was about. I was just like, hey, you know, whatever you wrote about, if it's Gus Spring, you know, please send us like a little like sample of it. So I'm just going to read to you a little bit of her perspective. And I think that the assignment might have been something a little bit more specific and she used Gus as like an example. But what she wrote was, her paper was called Man on the Fringes, but it's Fring and then parentheses ES. Uh, breaking Down, Breaking Bad, and the Borderlands of... Oh, how do you pronounce that? With the H? Hegemonic. Hegemonic? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Hegemonic masculinity. Hegemonic masculinity in Gus Spring. If we're working with the premise that masculinity is asserted through a control of capital and by extension the control of women and laborers, we cannot ignore the reality that it is largely white men in this neo-colonialist paradigm of breaking bad with access to the means to move that capital and by extension embody, was it? Hegemonic. Hegemonic masculinity. (laughs) A hegemon is someone who rules and so what they're... They're saying is that it's interesting that Fring, even though he's not white, is a hegemon of the crime industry because he controls so much capita, which means people, mm-hmm. um, so many peoples, again, their destiny are in his hands. In a place owns, like New Mexico. Yep. And the laundry stuff he owns, the Los Pueblos Hermanos itself, but then the crime business on the side as well. If any piece of that goes to shit, everything goes, but he's, <sighs> he's ruling all that capital. Okay. I do want to add to this that he is a very tiny man also in stature and in his delicate face. But anyway, um, uh, she continues with, by being Afro-Latino among a show of Latinos and Caucasians, which he is from Chile, right? That's I mean, they don't say explicitly he's that from, he's but... he is actually Chilean, but he is from there. Yeah. Okay, so um, Gus Fring's race presents him not just as a threatening other to the white cult of masculinity that makes the wallpaper of Walter's world, but an outsider in the non-white criminal element that the show problematically presents. He gains acceptance in his community by earning the trust of white leaders and taking from Hank's boss's memories of guests in his house, playing with white kids, like white children. In his other world, he is implicitly willing to sacrifice children of color like Cameron's brother, which I think is the 11-year-old that got shot. Mm -hmm. Gus is able to reach the level he did in his career because he is not tied down to active performance of heterosexual patriarch that consistently befuddles Walter. Holly's birth almost jeopardizes Walter's first big deal. His son is used as collateral. His relationship with Jesse is a conduit for much of the worst, most manipulative parts of his personality. In contrast, 
Gus doesn't appear to have children. He has toys in his house and references kids when he invites Walter over, but there's no reference of a wife or kids of his own in the fallout after his empire. On one level, Gustavo lacking in this department alludes to what Walter has to give up himself to be a part of Gustavo's world. However, it also alludes to how much Gustavo has to desexualize himself and his desires to fit into Walter's world. So I think I understand what she's saying and it's actually really interesting and I kind of want to read the whole thing. This is all that she sent me though. Well, there's one because I was reading about like maybe what was the meaning of him choosing the name that he chose, especially since we all know that's not who he is. And um, someone suggested that it was because he was the corruption in government. Like he would allude to the fact that our government was corrupt and so my papers got lost. And this guy was saying that maybe that's where he gets his clean cut look from. Like he's Hmm. always wearing really nice suits and he's always very poised. And he doesn't really talk about his personal life. Like they say, you know, he has toys and crap in his house, but he doesn't have any kids. And like that could have just been like a ruse for when he was a dictator and he was kind of in control of government in some type of way mm-hmm. to make it seem like oh i'm a family man when really he's like no i'm gay and i don't fucking want kids but, but i kind of so... have to have a way about him and so when things kind of got overthrown and he had to leave like he left to mexico well when he started his revenge path which was basically immediately he just cut off everything. He, again, he has a thankless job. He doesn't like anything that he does. He, I don't even know if he likes dressing the way, he, actually he does because he wore a suit back then. Mm-hmm. But he just, he has no joy in his life. And they kind of like connected that to the fact that they killed Max, but they didn't kill him mm-hmm. when they could have. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Christine, uh, for sending your stuff. I was like begging her all week <laughs> to send me something. But so really quick, Gus shows up on all the, all these top 10 lists that's like BuzzFeed, 10 reasons why Gus Spring is the sexiest character from Breaking Bad, um, Breaking Bad hottest guys, top 10 sexy Breaking Bad cast members. Um, on one of the lists, I can't remember which, Gus post explosion shows up. So Gus's <laughs> half face wow. is like one of the 10 sexiest Breaking Bad characters. <laughs> that's funny. It is really cool. Yeah, no, it is. And I actually saw, I wasn't looking for it, but I I was in Google Images and there's a lot of, I think mostly Halloween costumes of people dressing as Gustavo Fring with the half the face blown off. And there were some like really really cute girls, like (laughs) kind of like adorable girls with like half their face blown off and smiling with like the yellow shirt. And then I saw a photo of... um, Giancarlo. Giancarlo. You say Juan Carlo? Juan Carlo. God, we're so bad at this. Uh, A photo that someone took of Juan Carlo and he is like leaning over and he has the best smile on his face. And they're holding up one of those, um, it's like a play on those masquerade masks where it's on like a popsicle stick and it's just a a photo with the eyes cut out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a cartoon of Gustavo's face when his face is blown off and they're kind of holding it up to Giancarlo and he has the biggest smile like he's really happy with the the stick mask yeah it's cute I want to do what food he's gonna be (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was thinking about I would probably say like a cinnamon bun very unassuming and is that because I called him a cinnamon bun earlier? you called him a cinnamon bun earlier and I was like (laughs) that is kind of his food like he just completely unassuming and like you know run of the mill you might pass it over the first time you see it but it's 
but it's real good and solid and tight, you know? Like it's You a, might eat a cinnamon bun if you're really sad. Which I suppose. you would be if you were watching this show and watching his character. If you were rooting for Gus, you would be sad. You root for Walter in the beginning and then you just get annoyed with him and then Gus is like your new person. <laughs> what kind of food would he be? Um I am still thinking of what kind of food he would be. I feel like a cinnamon bun works really well. But I'm I don't want to be the only one to be obvious and say he should be a chicken nugget. Oh, because of Los Pollos Hermanos? Yeah, because this is a chicken restaurant. I thought both of you would be like, who's a piece of chicken? No. And I'd be like, no, that's stupid, guys. But that's... Chicken's no, too I'm, simple. Now I'm Too the one. simple. Well, Cinnamon butter swirled has layers to How it. about this? How about, no, he's not going to be anything chicken related because that's too simple. But if he were, he'd be a little tiny, little tiny... Chicken nugget. An unassuming nugget. Yeah, that you can kiss. The kind you choke on by accident. You never see it coming. He's just something that's, I don't know, simple, but kind of a punch. Like? Like? Like strawberry uh, pancake syrup from IHOP. No? I'm just not a syrup person. Well, I don't like strawberry syrup, but he's so sweet. He's like a... red is one of his colors. He's like something simple, but with a lot of flavor. Strawberry syrup. Simpler. Maple syrup? Uh, <laughs> those little honeysuckles that you find, the little purple flowers that when you pick out the little parts you suck on the ends and it tastes like honey. See, something like that. Like simple, simple dimple. Gus Fring is a meadow flower found in Washington State. Mm. <laughs> He's a simple food with a lot. Like, you know, like a stew. Like you just throw a bunch of shit in the pot like and the let it cook. Like the stew he makes? Not that he makes, I'm just saying stew in general. You just throw shit in a pot and you let it sit for 12 hours and then it tastes amazing. And you're like, I did nothing for this. This was literally me throwing all my scrap food in a pot and it turning out to be something delicious. Oh, this all just talk, it just makes me sad. <laughs> I'm so depressed. <laughs> Sorry. So I guess I'll close the Gus Spring book by saying... I think that he's one of those villains that because you feel sorry for him, there's like a little subliminal thing attached to that that I think especially women find attractive, especially in a villain, when you have apathy for them and you feel like some of their actions are justified and you just want to cuddle them up like a little cinnamon bun. He is the bad boy that women are referring to wanting. Yeah, he does and bad he, shit, but he's successful at it, and he doesn't really get caught. He's very successful <laughs> about being yeah. like an alpha, and he is an alpha despite his stature. Yeah, and his super super little face. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think that is where the attraction comes. He from. controls the bad things without having to put his hands into it, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it's like, cool, that's the bad boy we want. We don't want the guy actually selling the drugs. We want the guy distributing them. Who are we targeting next? Next up, we're doing Pinhead and possibly a little bit about his Cenobite buddies from the Hellraiser series, correct? Yes. I'd like specifically to deal with Hellraiser 1, but he actually gets more coverage in later ones, so I'm sure we'll all be doing our watching of the whole series, or at least best of of the series, but uh... I bet we could do an, an entire other episode on Angelique from Hellraiser Bloodline. Oh, it's true. Hmm. So we'll focus on the Pinhead heavy ones We'll mention then. her. 1 and 2 are pretty good to work off. Absolutely. Okay, so Pinhead. Uh, yeah, if you have a creep story corner. Wait, I always say that wrong. Creep story corner? Creep creep corner, corner story. Creep corner stories. There we go. If you have a creep corner story, which is a story you want to send to us about your feelings on any villain you can think of, 
uh, send it to us at hotbadpod at gmail.com. The creep corner stories, I mean, really, if think of anything, because if you, like... Yeah, everything. Someone out there is attracted to Loki from the Avengers movie. I know that for a oh, fact. Yeah. If you want to send us a story about Gus Spring, yeah. we will read it on the next episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so our next episode will be uh, Pinhead. If you have a story about Pinhead and why you like Pinhead, say all that over to us also. Um, you can check out our Twitter and our Facebook and our Tumblr page and our Instagram. How's our Instagram page doing? I have not. I meant to. It'll be doing are we later. St- are we still on the fir- very first episode Maybe. on our Instagram? That might be it, but I actually have time today. Our so Instagram we won't is be. going wild, blowing up. <laughs> it won't be by the end of the day. <laughs> uh, if you if you want to reach us at any of those locations, our SoundCloud account, any of those, uh, just Google Hot Bad Pod. And then, of course, we are also on iTunes if you type in our full name, the Super Hot Bad Guy Podcast. Is there any holidays coming up? Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Happy, I hope you had a, a wonderful Mother's Day. Um, um, isn't Father's Day coming up too? Isn't Father's Day in like June? I don't, is that January? I don't know, but if Father's Day is coming up, happy Father's Day. <laughs> no one really talks about it ever. I'm like, sorry, Dad. I, there was no dead. sign in the mall about Father's Day. I know. <laughs> it's really shitty. It's just a tie shop. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, whether Father's Day is coming up or not, this has been our Father's Day segment. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Dad. guys. Yeah. Love Thanks, you. Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You know who isn't a dad? The patriarchy. Gus Spring. Yeah, Gus Spring is not a father. Yeah.